This is the Hour of Power with Ben and Courtney. Welcome back to the podcast. This is session two with our friend Bob, and he's going to be continuing his story about what had happened from session one. So I hope you guys have clicked on this and are going to listen to this to the full because it's going to give a bit more context and we're going to get wild. Are you ready, Bob? I am feeling wild. All right. Let's just take it back to the end of session one. So you were talking about stimulants. Oh, yeah. You were asking me about this particular story that I had mentioned that's when it. we talked earlier. So I was at a conclave of us hippies for, in, in a home. This happened to me more than two or three times where I would be somewhere stoned and and we're talking hashish. That became my favorite. You know, it's so much more economical to use than smoking a bunch of leaves. That was my favorite drug. It's pretty much 99% of my drug use for the seven years that I was in this modality was that. And I mean, I was using it from the time I got up in the morning till pretty much the time I went to bed. So it was, you know. Every day? Every day. Pretty much. Yeah, very rare for me to have a day or two or three in a row where I wasn't, you know, assisting my condition. I don't know what the words are for that, but I wasn't physically addicted. I don't think it's a physical addiction. It's a psychological addiction. Anyway, uh, I was in this gathering people are just doing what they do having a party and i would suddenly feel kind of buzzy an increasing buzziness to where i thought i gotta find a place to lay down i I can't even stand up i mean i'm gonna drop out here so i several times i would i I laid down and find a place on the floor I'm the only guy laying on the floor. You know, everybody else is in seats sitting on the floor or standing or, and they're all, you know, busy talking in their separate conversations all over the room. But I, again, I'm like falling. By this time, it wasn't like my body compressed and I go flying out. It was just I just slipped out of my physical body. I wasn't going through star systems or any of that. I was in the room. Uh, I can't really describe what it's like to be present, but you're really not in your body. But I was acutely, like my senses were were more focused than normal. And so it's all audio, my eyes are closed. And and I think about blind people like who don't have sight, I think their, their brains are, they compensate by um, sucking data out of everything that's sound. And so maybe there's a correlation there, but I was, acutely aware of anything I focused on like I could listen to the buzz of the whole room but then something some voice might attract my attention and I would focus on that and I just entered right in to the relation going on relationship going on between that person and whoever the other person or persons were and I'm listening to all of them I'm listening to that conversation it's like I have headphones on into their conversation I had experience the ability to follow their conversation from inside of them like they might be saying something like well why did you do that and the other person's giving an explanation but i hear the motive i i know why the i know what that person that asks the question is looking for they they want to know something and they're asking a question and it seems you know fairly generic but I know the specific, you know, interest that they're looking for, and I hear the other person 
calculating the what it is they want to say back. It's almost like I can hear their mind going, I don't want to go too far that direction, but I want to say that, but I don't want to say it like that. And, and so all the intentions. It's weird. The true intentions. Yeah, it is so weird. <laughs> I mean, it's like, because normally when we're in a conversation with people, we're, we have inhibitions and fears and defenses, and our consciousness is not free emotionally and psychologically to hear objectively. That information, if we were actually aware of it, it would change the whole flow of the conversation because we would be in possession of knowledge that there's a social contract, let's just say, an unspoken social contract. I'm not going to really know. I'm not going to let myself know what you're really trying to do here, what you're really about. And and you're not going to call me on my stuff, and I'm not going to call you on your stuff, but we're just going to kind of find a way through this time together without you know, mm. blowing each other up or anything. It's weird. So I'm in this place where I'm watching that happen. And so I'm all silent. Like, I'm a dead body over there in the side of the room. <laughs> Nobody knows I'm there anymore. I've been gone for a while, you know, it's totally silent. All of a sudden, somebody says something that is so ludicrous, ridiculous. It ridiculous hit- in its intention, not matching. Yeah, it's so bogus. It's so phony or it's so revelatory about this person somehow and it's so transparent to me, I literally explode. All of a sudden, I'm all full of laughter, and I am a dead body that just came to life on the floor over there that is hysterically laughing, and I could feel the room freaking out because there's nothing that people almost fear more than being laughed at. Everybody has a suspicion that... I might have just heard what they were just saying and thought it was as stupid as they know it is. And, <laughs> and could it be me? Is it even possible that that, you know, that no, you know, what's going on here? It's freaky. Oh, I, so could so, you feel a shift of like fear or insecurity? You could, I could feel the whole room. I could feel the whole current of emotions and stuff. And then, then, cause I died, you know, it's just like, it came up, it's like in the room and then I'm quiet again. It's like, oh, everybody's like, whoa. He just must be tripping. He's just tripping. He doesn't. He's not even here. He doesn't even know what he's doing. And uh, then go back to normal, you know. And it might and it might happen again later. But that was an experience that did happen a few times. It's just weird place that I was floating in, you know, kind of a other. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of names: extrasensory, or you know, there, there's astral projection. There's all kinds of dissociation psychologists talk about it you know everybody has their own jargon that they try to figure this kind of stuff out but is that why when sometimes you're walking on the street you might see somebody who's looking a bit disheveled and not with it and they probably were using drugs and they're kind of laughing just randomly or they're talking to themselves that's a more serious level because that's mental illness and there are spiritual realities that factor into all this like we are not alone you know there are aliens they might not be from different from another planet they might be from a different dimension because i've talked about spiritual entities especially on tiktok can you actually bring up a story now that you've mentioned it about maybe seeing or sensing well i don't know if i've ever said this to you before and you're taking me into a place that you know keep an eye on me here because maybe it's not appropriate but i have awakened in bed something woke me up while I was sleeping and there was a 
You ever see Pirates of the Caribbean? Some of those pirates, they're like skeletal. They're kind of like half rotted away, and there's like flesh hanging from, you know. And there was something like that um, on more than one occasion, standing right next to my bed, right over me. I'm like, mm. well, by that time I had, I was having those kind of experiences. I had gotten, believe it or not, sort of used to it, and I knew that it wasn't going to be able to actually get me, but what it was after, it, it it was after to scare me and to put me in terror, to cause me to to feel like I was vulnerable to some sort of you know terror or fears. I mean, they can come into your dreams. They can be there, and you know, just people who are sensitive, different sensitivities. I, I know a lot of people who tell me that they have seen things since they were little kids, and they can be good or they can be bad, and uh, so. I've experienced that. I, I've awakened one time where into the same sort of situation. It wasn't a figure. There were l- there were rings around me like an amphitheater, ascending like a like like a net, like a you know a play playhouse kind of an amphitheater, all made up of really scary. It like it reminds me of the Star Wars thing again, like where they have this big council and everybody's from a different planet. It was like weird, all freaky creatures. They were all like. Rah, rah, making noises and, and bad faces like trying to terrorize me. And you're in your bed or you're in, in a comfy space. I just woke up. And was this happening in parallel, would you say, with like the period where you're using drugs? And It was as I was coming out because after seven years, I, I found a pathway through, through various circumstances. I found a pathway that started to make sense out of the last seven years because I was descending through those seven years. The longer I made myself vulnerable to that kind of experience, the more it left a permanent mark. It's like it started to take up residence in me. It actually became part of me. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good feeling because if things get darker and you lose more and more control over your life, your ability to function, your ability to work, your ability to show up, your ability to, to focus, your ability to have a normal, you know, normal can be debated, but y- your ability to have healthy, let's say healthy, yeah, yeah. healthy relationships, all of that is affected because something is happening to you on a other dimensional plane. And I, I just say it's a spiritual plane because it's not material. So what, if, what is it if it's not material? Well, it's spiritual. So this, there is a spirit world, you know, Native Americans, you know, the great spirit and all the other spirits. And most religions talk about spirits and they all have their pantheons of this and that. and I think India has something like 30 million gods. I mean, you can't even name 30 million anything. You know, so I don't know. So they're code for 30 million spiritual entities. They do. They have individually, you know, recognized something. I mean, you can look it up on Google. Everybody just check it out. I don't know. I just really so we can we can <laughs> define the gods of religions as meaning a spiritual entity. And what we need to figure out right, is right. is that spiritual entity like the one you saw when you were in the light where you did not have any feelings of insecurity, fear, doubt, any of that. It was it was not even existent in that light space compared to the experiences you're having with these other spiritual entities where you describe them looking not just terrorizing, but the feel that they're bringing is, yeah, confronting. I would say Hollywood, when they make horror movies, 
the writers are tapping into, I mean, where's that coming from? You know, is it something you ate? You ate, had a really bad meal, and now you're going to be like Stephen King. You know, let's make stuff, let's make movies that scare the crap out of little kids, you know, and like wreck their whole life. Yeah, yeah, come on in, Johnny, watch the thing devour, you know, Godzilla or something. Um, that, that stuff's coming from somewhere. It's not natural. It's not in the, uh, the ordered universe, uh, you know, the nature of things as we see it. It's coming from somewhere. The inspiration for that is coming from the spiritual dimension. It is above the material dimension. The longevity of spiritual entities is greater than the lifespan of humans and animals and all this. Trees, you know, they, like an old tree can get big, but it's gonna, everything's going to die here. There, death isn't the same thing. It's more like eternity and no time and space. You mentioned that. So, so going, sorry, going back to the timeline. So <clears throat> your initial experience, that big experience in the university which we mentioned in session one, and then you're going along this journey of weed and hippie movement and all this, and the experiences that you're having, like you described, are building up to the point where it's almost like it's not a good feeling inside, like the taking up residence. Yeah, I'd say that actually out of the seven years, I'd say the first year was kind of like fun and games. After that, it was not fun and games. It was like being lost in a house of mirrors, like a house of horrors, house of mirrors. Um, it was a progression into more and more confusion and desperation where I wanted a way out. I, I, like, I felt like I used to say about myself, I'm like uh, Humpty Dumpty. You know, Humpty Dumpty was there sitting on a wall, and then he had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. That's not a good thing because, like, if all the king's horses and king's men can't put you back together again, maybe you can't be put back together and maybe you're permanently impaired, permanently broken. That's the great fear. And you want you want a solution. It's natural for us to look for a solution to a problem. And this was a big problem because it was at the core of my being because that was so intense. It had it, it affected me on a level. It's, this is not like even losing a finger or an arm. This was losing, I don't know, your soul. It was like Something's devouring my soul from within. People don't talk about it, so like, they don't have billboards that say, are you losing your soul? Come in and see Dr. Anthony, you know, he'll help you out. He's got a whole box of souls available, $99 a piece. So what did you you try, sorry, what did you try in that period? What were the methods of trying to fix yourself? Just list maybe five or? You know, like a lot of hippies, because I know a lot of people who have had a parallel uh, journey and ended up in the same kind of a, a place I ultimately ended up at. But I was, and there were people like Mayor here, Baba. He was a, an Indian guy who was supposed to be some kind of avatar who didn't talk for 40 years. And then somewhere, I think it was in the early 70s or late 60s, he was going to come out of his cave after 40 years of not speaking and utter this great vibratory word that was going to re-alter the whole universe and like I remember I was like on the Oakland freeway and it was supposed to happen at 3 o'clock that day and I'm like it's 5 minutes to 3 and I'm like man something's going to like we'll see about this and it's like nothing happened you know I'm at the Oakland bridge I got to pay the toll nothing happened <laughs> that was it, it. Was like, that was it I knew nothing <laughs> yeah. had happened because I had to still pay the toll it was a bust and uh, so Mayor Baba, you know, Yogananda, that's Paramahansa Yogananda, that's the Self-Realization Fellowship in Pasadena. That was a big deal. Um, you know, remember Mar- Maharishi, the Beatles, we all, uh, looking around. I, I didn't get into that guy to me. Was a, no, 
I could tell by looking. But uh, I was looking for something more intellectual, and I, I ended up with a guy named Krishnamurti, who was probably the most intellectual, guruish kind of a guy to come along. I mean, there was Americans like uh, Richard Alp, who became Baba Ram Das, and Timothy Leary. They were partners. They're both, I think, Harvard professors who turned on to acid and became... Whoa. You know, they were on the they, they were on the freeway. They were on an eight lane freeway. I was like on a four lane freeway to you know what for, I think that there's a there's a song like Highway to Hell, something like that. A C D C. Yeah. Yeah. Akadeka. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that Highway to Hell is in our home city, Canning Highway in Australia, Western Australia. Serious. Nice. Mm. I watched I watched a documentary on, on T V a few years ago. The band that A C D C they were in Brazil. They had like 720 million Brazilians out in front of them, and they were all singing Highway to Hell. They were ecstatically enthusiastic about this concept, and like all, everybody's doing like that or like wearing horns or like I'm, I'm watching, I'm going like, I don't know if you guys understand what the word hell means, but it was weird. It totally blew my mind. Anyway, I was, I was on that, and, and so I found Krishnamurti he was a guy that Madame Blavatsky and Aleister Crowley, who were the couple of very freaky people, Theosophical Society. Um, Anyone that calls himself Madame, that, that immediately freaks me out. Yeah, but then follow <laughs> it up with a really weird-looking <laughs> yeah, lady that, like, that's named I don't know, like, Blavatsky. Welcome. Sounds Pennsylvanian. My, uh, oh, yeah, Transylvanian, sorry. Yeah. yeah I mean, suck your blood. Yeah. yeah, I want your blood. <laughs> so they... they found Krishnamurti when he was a little guy in India, a little baby, and they were attracted to him somehow and decided he was the Messiah. He he was the guy that was the second coming of Christ. So they adopted him out of his family and raised him, mentored him to be this second. They were preparing for the second coming of Christ. Somewhere around 1933, I think, if I'm not, I could be off on that year, but basically uh, in that era, it was time for him to do his second coming thing, and it was going to happen in Chicago, because I guess the Bible says that Jesus will come back. <laughs> it is Chicago, yes. Yeah. I'm Why guessed. Chicago? Probably the Sears Tower, like that's the highest building there it was at the time. Like, yeah, I wonder what word are these various things, washing machines, where everybody. Anyway, they they came, and nothing happened. Man, it was totally flat. It, it just didn't. just another toll. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> just, just another, just another toll. Indian guy. Yes. And so Krishnamurti was cool enough to realize, I don't think I'm the Messiah, guys. I quit. And he bailed on them and became kind of a all-by-himself intellectual guru. And I found a lot of, um, yeah, I, got, I was into him pretty good for a few years until I saw him addressing, uh, he had groupies like rock and roll play, so mainly rich widows who followed him all over the world and you know and, and his entourage he, yeah, yeah his entourage fan base and i saw him on tv and some some lady well, asked this question out of the crowd and i'm sure that lady was probably familiar to him and you know like what does the meaning of life again you know tell me again i forgot last week <laughs> i forgot last week <laughs> and he just got irate and really kind of ripped her a new one right there and oh wow and on I'm, live TV. Uh, yeah, it was a recording and that was uh, on PBS. Uh, they were playing his whole series. When I saw that, I was like, that was revelation to me. Like, I don't like Krishnamurti anymore. He, he, he's mean. You know? He's nasty. 
what his real character was. Yeah, it just showed me like this is a guy doesn't you know he's not inspiring me right now. So I dropped him, and, and that left me kind of without anything. To tell you the truth. What age are you at this point, though, and what year? Oh man. Sorry. You know, I was out of time and space for a long time. Uh, I like coming back to the spaceport and looking at the clock. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I didn't take notes, but I would say. I would say early 20s. I was in my early 20s. Yeah, I managed to do a couple of years in a photography school and graduate. Uh, and uh, I, I was doing crazy stuff. I, they tried to draft me during that time. And uh, Vietnam was happening. And I, I was like, you can't take me. I'm crazy. And they agreed. Basically, the psychiatrist agreed. The sergeant guy did not. He goes, I know what you're up to, punk. You're going to go. But we've got to send you to the psychiatrist. And... I was a psych major in college, so I knew how to knew the system. wingle that. Yeah, yeah right. like, I know the right words for you. So he gave me a one Y, and I then I had to go to see a psychiatrist after that. And unfortunately, I turned that psychiatrist onto marijuana, and he took off his wig and bought a bunch of beatnik clothes and became a became a person of some notoriety. Sorry, uh, hang on. The psychiatrist you met with. You influenced as the patient. You out psychiatrist the psych the psychiatrist. You outdid him at his own job. I messed him up. I was he hired oh, no. me. He, he got me out of the draft. Oh, no. He's he got me out of the draft. In return I had to be their photographer. This was an institute and I'm not gonna mention the name. It's it was very well known, it may still be. And I had to work as a what they call a catalyst in the group therapy, which means my job was they don't know you're in here and uh, he recognized I had certain qualities that that uh, would make me good in, at this. If things quiet down and there's no action, there's nothing really, nothing really happening in the group, then I need to make something happen. I need to do whatever comes to mind and get something going. So that was the deal, and he got he got me out of the draft, and I worked for them for a while. Um, he he actually, you know, drugs are not good. He the the marijuana affected him in a way that. All his restraints, all his his orthodox following of uh, society's norms, he just, they went over the, you know, like the Boston Tea Party, man. They went right into the water. The boundaries removed, yeah. His, he got a divorce. It was a total disaster for him and his family, uh, and he did die um, some years later uh, in, a, in a bad way. You know, all this drug talk, drugs are not what you want to be doing. That, that is not the path to enlightenment. That that's what yeah that's what was going on. And, and Krishnamurti was kind of the last guru. After which I was drifting, and that's that's when I started to meet some people that had something different to say that I had not encountered. That sounds really exciting. And we're going to finish your story with a session three. We're just going to wrap up this episode. I'm going to segue to session three. So we're going to take a break, guys, and come back. 